Hear the Gospel of our Saviour Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he had went about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he came out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And, after f and about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the labourers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought that they would receive more but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Reading the memoirs of retired bishops and priests of the Church of God often reveals that many of the anxieties that we experience as those training for the priesthood have been encountered by our contemporaries in the call and indeed our predecessors. In one such memoir, and I shall not name the cleric in question, the author, recounting his priestly life, suggested that one of his fears when engaged in the task of preaching was the amateur theologian within the congregation, the one who would engage with him at the porch of the church after the service and engage with high criticism and deconstruct the sermon line by line. Imagine then, if you will, the trepidation that I feel being listened to by professional theologians. It's truly at this time that one hears the cry of the psalmist, enter not into judgment with thy servant. Therefore, I hope that you will be gracious. Indeed, I may say I hope that you will be fair should you seek to deconstruct this sermon after the service. The question of being fair is often drawn from self-interest. Those who have worked within business and within the corporate realm will be all too familiar with the gripes and grumbles of fairness 
in relation to salary, hours worked, shift patterns, promotions, and so on. Even in the custom, even in the queue, in shops these days, the lamentation is, that's not fair, I was first. And of course, the other grumble, which our cleric mentions in his memoirs, it's not fair that I have to do this all on my own. You need to take your fair share of the responsibility. Or as we have seen during this interminable season of perpetual COVID tide and the stringent, mem and the stringent measures introduced by the government, life is not fair. It is fair to say that some complaints are justified, and rightly so. However, it is also fair to say that many complaints of this nature occur as expressions of thoughtlessness, selfishness, and greed. Undoubtedly, such is the human condition. However, it becomes dangerous when we apply the self-interested notion of fairness to our relationship as Christians with the Most High God. The self-interested complaint of demanding fairness from God is essentially ordering the God of all creation to do what he should and should not do. This complaint allows us to put our standards above him, even to put ourselves above him. The position places God in the precarious situation of being brought down to our human level. It is to box the Lord of all creation into our likeness. It is foolish, it is arrogant, and to use an old word that is somewhat out of fashion, it is idolatrous. For surely in doing so we make ourselves into gods above God. The arrogance, the foolishness, and the falseness of this notion of who and what God is needs to die. As the Anglican priest and scholar J.B. Phillips eloquently writes in his book, Your God is Too Small, the almost childish conceptions of a God who will not stand the winds of real life, that is the God that is held by many Christians. The gospel lesson this morning, the parable, demonstrates how to destroy this notion of fairness in our relationship with God. It seeks to banish the idea that we may make God subject to our own rules when we box him into our definition of smallness. In fact, we place the Lord of all creation into a little box and we lock it and we put it away, occasionally keep an eye on it and sometimes feed it. In the parable, when dealing with the grumbling workers, the owner, who is God in this parable, says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now those that know me know that I retain a fondness for the authorised King James translation. And the King James translation from the Greek makes the question more profound. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? It is profound because it contains the cold, hard reality of the gospel message. The gospel is not fair. It is the truth of the gospel, 
It is the authenticity of the gospel, and more so, it is the mystery of the love of God. It is the mystery of his great generosity. Fairness is something different altogether from this important eternal truth. Fairness is not about gifts. It is rather about requirements. It is about what someone must do, either willingly or unwillingly. May we put such outside requirements on the Almighty One. May we force him to bend to our requirements. And does God actually owe us his creatures anything at all? I doubt that I would be alone amongst my eminent colleagues when I answer a resounding no. God interacts with us according to the abundance of his grace. Everything that he wants us to receive is freely given as a gift. The gospel discloses this truth. It informs us of the undeserved goodness of God and his unmeritorious kindness as revealed through Jesus Christ. It is not through any debt that he owes us, nor is it because he must. It is because it is his good will to be generous towards us. In short, it is simply who he is. The God that can be bargained with, the God that is subjected to our human ideas of being fair, is a man-made God and is not the Christian God. Because our God is much more than this God of fairness. Our God is the God who is gracious. O Lord, be gracious unto us, cries the prophet. The gospel demonstrates that he has and will continue to be so. But what then of this God of fairness, the God from whom unbelief extracts things on the understanding of what it, fairness, determines to be just? It is evident that such a God does not inspire the confidence of faith. In fact, such a God is controlled by the individual. Look what I have done for you, O Lord, now you do this for me. And this is not the God of faith, is it? Faith at its very core is founded upon trust, and we trust that God will, in his goodness and mercy, be gracious unto us and gift us those things which we need. Indeed, faith understands the patience of waiting upon our gracious God. How then shall we understand fairness itself? What is a fair Christian understanding of fairness? The scriptures categorize fairness as part of the law. The law is part of the justice of God. The law of God, as St. Paul reminds us, is judgment upon all. For we have all fallen short and we are all convicted by our sins. Even godly ordinance are convicted by their sins, at least I would hope. It is the conviction and recognition of our sins that leads us to understand that we cannot bargain with God, nor can we really ask God to be fair with us. I know that sounds terribly unfair. However, it would be rather tragic if God were to deal with us according to his fairness, because who, who would be able to stand in his presence? 
Rather, God would deal with us according to his mercy, which he has given us through Jesus Christ as a gift. The good news of the gospel is that it is very unfair, and thanks be to God that it is unfair. In this unfairness, God extends his love towards us. Paul writes to the Romans that we are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And again in the Ephesians, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. There is an important lesson here in our Christian understanding of the fairness of God. We do not boast of ourselves. We do not boast of our works, but rather we rely wholly, utterly and entirely on God. The words of the prophet Jeremiah are particularly pertinent. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. You may have already discerned the difference between the first and last labourers during this morning's gospel. The first workers, who had worked long, sought to boast of their own works to the landowner, their achievements working in the scorching heat, rather than those workers that came later. The last labourers, who worked at the end of the day, trusted that the landowner would give them whatever was right. They trusted and believed in the righteousness of the landowner, and in so doing, they received more than they expected or deserved. This is the same as our relationship with God, and it is the difference between the man-made God of fairness and the Christian God. Those who wish ordinance and ordained alike, those who wish to bargain with God on the basis of their own works, their own requirements of fairness, their own small box God who can be locked away and controlled, they will be sent out of the kingdom and out of the presence of God forever. And where will they be in this place that is absent from God? In his work, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes such a place as hell. Hell is a place in which the damned suffer the anguish of infinitely growing more and more angry with God whose judgment they consider to be unfair. It is also the complaint of Satan in Milton's Paradise Lost that God, frankly, is flatly unjust, unjust. As Christians, we give up trying to deal with God on our own terms. Instead, we trust and rely on his goodness and mercy. In doing so, we are gifted and freely given more than we expect or deserve. If hell is the place of growing resentment, of the unjustness and unfairness of God, then the other place is surely the place wherein we rejoice that God is unfair 
because we recognize the undeserved love and goodness that the unfair God freely gives to us. In recognizing the unfairness of, of God, we ensure a sharper understanding of verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Self-sufficiency, bargaining power, pride, boasting in righteousness and works will leave you outside of the kingdom, because that is the illustration of the parable. It is better that we are as humble beggars, begging on the grace of God, approaching in loneliness, for to such belongs the kingdom. And this is the Christ-like way. For he that was the greatest became the least of all. When he died upon the cross, he was treated unfairly by the world, scourged, spat upon, rejected by all men, so that we might be treated graciously. It is fair to say that Christ did the work in the vineyard so that we might receive the generous reward at the end of the day. Consider the times mentioned within the parable and the illustration becomes clearer of Christ the worker in the vineyard. Jesus Christ was given over to Pontius Pilate at dawn. Jesus Christ was crucified at the third hour of the day. Light was extinguished at the sixth hour and on the ninth hour he gave up the ghost. On the eleventh hour he was buried. The work was completed. It was completed even before the last labourers were hired. The Lord completed the work long before we were brought to faith. And we may add nothing to this. We simply hold fast to his grace and mercy. We must simply accept the penny which Jesus Christ earned for us. Clemency, pardon and salvation are ours. We receive them through word and sacrament. We come to the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, the Supper of the Lord, to receive that blessing of his body and blood, which he gives not because it is fair, nor is it owed, and neither are we worthy, but rather because it is his graciousness and love towards us. And I ask you, is that fair enough? Let us pray. Almighty God, whose love and mercy are given without measure to all who truly deserve to f or desire to follow you, accept our response to your call and give us love for all our fellow servants as we labor together for the coming of your kingdom. Amen.